The information contained on the Real Health Podcast and the resources mentioned are for educational purposes only. They are not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information contained on this podcast is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Information provided by hosts and guests on the Real Health Podcast or the use of any products or services mentioned does not create a practitioner-patient relationship between you and any persons affiliated with this podcast. This is the Real Health Podcast brought to you by Reardon Clinic. Our mission is to bring you the latest information and top experts in functional and integrative medicine to help you make informed decisions on your path to real health. If you have a strong will to live and you've made up your mind, I'm going to live, and and you believe you can get well, then you have set a, a mental foundation for yourself and for the actions that you take going forward, right? Because that's, you know, I wanted to live. I had a, a, a young wife and I have two parents and I didn't want to see those people put me in the ground. That's what I had to live for. I was very clear, right? I knew what I had to live for. You know, Chris, uh, that uh, speaking back, uh, Dr. Cohen and his book, Anti-Cancer Living, the number one thing that he lists as the epigenetic factor that uh, promotes survival of cancer patients is what he calls connectivity. And that connectivity can be on so many different levels. It can be with your family, your marriage, your children, your grandparents. How many people have I heard? I can't, they say, doctor, I can't die. I've got to make it to my granddaughter's wedding or graduation. Mm. And if yeah. they have that strong will to survive and to, they kind of set a goal for themselves that I, I'm going to live. And, uh, and then once they set that goal, then they can start looking at the assumptions that they've made about their lifestyle. Because, you know, some people have thought that cancer is genetic because you'll see uh, cancers running through certain families. Well, you know, lung cancer just runs in my family. Uh, oh, yeah, we all smoke and, and we all eat a crazy diet. And so it's really behaviors that evoke uh, disease processes, not so much genetic. Matter of fact, the whole genetic link to cancer is now being shown to not be that strong at all. It's behaviors, epigenetic choices that we're making in our lives, in our lives, or unconscious choices. Like, for example, this notion of 70% of our food in the grocery store is processed. Most people don't see that as a problem. So, so it's processed. So what? The, the label says it's got this vitamin and that vitamin. Isn't that good enough? And the answer is no. And there's good evidence that it's not good enough, but that evidence is not reaching the public. And a lot of doctors say, there's no evidence that nutrition is going to help you. Well, there is plenty of evidence that nutrition is going to help you, but it's not reaching the doctors because that's not what they go to get their continuing medical education for unless they're motivated to take care of themselves and their family. And that's actually how most doctors change is they, a family member gets sick and they begin questioning their, the, the standard treatments, wondering, my gosh, is this really going to help my wife? Is this really going to help my child? What else can I do that might enhance their 
survivability and thriveability. And this is where they start digging into the astounding amount of proven research that lifestyle does make a difference. It's just that if you don't do it, it doesn't make a difference. You got to make the changes that you're talking about that uh, people are, once they have the cancer diagnosis, they have a much stronger motivation to take a look at their life and maybe make a change that otherwise uh, their routine would disallow them from changing. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, yeah, there's volumes of evidence on anti-cancer nutrition and lifestyle. And uh, so much so that, you know, any one person couldn't even read it all. It's, it's that much, right? And, uh, and yet there's this trope that is just repeated constantly, you know, well, there's no evidence, like you said, that uh, the diet and lifestyle really have any impact on survival. So just go home and eat whatever you want. You know, don't get on the internet. Just just make sure you show up for treatment. And, uh, you know, we'll do we'll do the best. You'll, you'll get the very best care at our facility or whatever. And uh, so I, I, you know, I hear that all the time. And I just have to laugh and shake my head because of like the evidence is everywhere. It's, I mean, all you have to do is start looking and, and you see just a massive, massive amount. And what I tried to do in my first book was just sort of condense it down into the most important studies, the most compelling, the strongest studies on diet and lifestyle for cancer. And then also the, the studies on, you know, the, the risks and the perils and pitfalls of conventional treatment and, and how the pharmaceutical industry in, you know, they design studies to succeed and they, they, there's a, they just have a long history uh, of not only rigging studies to succeed, but of getting uh, caught rigging studies and prosecuted and convicted of criminal behavior in order to sell drugs. And it's just uh, not, and not that all drugs are bad and can't be useful because some certainly can be, but generally speaking, they have, there's, there, there are more books than any person would even want to read on the corruption in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, and the medical industry. Like, you want to go down that rabbit hole? I've been down it. It's deep. Uh, and so, I mean, that, that is something that uh, no one talks about. No doctors don't know about it. They don't realize that there, there's how much corruption is involved in, in medicine. Uh, and, and in medical education and how it's really just bent toward the most profitable treatment. And what I like to refer to as evidence-based medicine, I feel like is a misnomer because it's sort of like a half truth, you know, like a half truth is actually a lie. And uh, evidence-based medicine is more uh, aptly described or defined as patent-based, profit-based medicine because they're only looking at evidence that supports patentable, highly profitable drugs, right? So they're not looking at all the evidence on survival, which would include diet and lifestyle and not natural and non-toxic compounds, because there's no money in those things. They're only looking at what are the most profitable things we can do that we can you know, cobble some evidence together to support and they, they are very, very clever, and they know how to create studies that inflate, uh, the, inflate the evidence of a drug uh, in terms of re 
you know, its efficacy or uh, minimizing the actual reporting of side effects. And so it's a, it's a deep discouraging <laughs> pit that uh, I think the average patient needs a, a, just a cursory understanding of how the, you know, how the system is working, in, at least in the United States. Well, as you and, mentioned, in even in real estate, you know, buyer beware, you know, that uh, you you have to be a kind of medical consumer these days. But yeah, just like in every area of life, because we know yeah. that there there is uh, in every area, whether you're talking about food, uh, agriculture, medicine, government, it's it's tough to know what the real truth is, because and that's uh, intimidating people. people sometimes feel like they have a monopoly on science like this is science based and they and you can find science to support many different things but uh this is where i think it's important that people uh stand up for themselves and begin to check these things out and to try these things that series i i, I noticed that you were uh, on your w uh, website we're talking about proven it's a series mm -hmm. that's coming out basically demonstrating in 10 one-hour programs that much of what we uh, talk about in terms of lifestyle medicine or natural medicine uh, is very well proven, but it's not proven to be a standalone therapy. You, you, the, the, what works the best is synergism. If you can get a number of things working for you. Chris has a beautiful program called Square One that I happen to print out here uh, some of the modules that we've already talked about uh, and getting people to educate themselves and look at what are all the variables that goes into uh, why cancer happens, why it manifests, and all the things you need to do. Hey, this is, uh, this is no easy deal. I see, I, I would have never believed that I would be dealing with so many cancer patients as a family physician. And there are people that say, well, wait a minute, you're just a family doctor. Why are you trying to treat cancer? Probably you get the same answer, the same question. Hey, you have no medical training at all. How, how, how can you say you know anything about cancer? Well, we live in an era where the information is there. And uh, granted, there, there is fake news. But I think when you've got cancer and you're trying to survive, you're going to really be much more discerning about what you believe and what you don't believe. Now, that's not always true. I've seen people go down rabbit holes, just like you say. And I think it's uh, important for people to try to be as objective and scientific as they can. But nevertheless, the, the best science is to, for example, with food, try eating more vegetables and see how you feel. And try uh, uh, watching out for toxins in your in your. Uh, everyday uh, lifestyle choices like your cleaning supplies and your cosmetics and your gardening supplies, you know, read the labels. If, if the label has more than five ingredients, maybe it's been processed, that food has been processed more than you realize. So these are things that I encourage patients to do to empower themselves so they have a chance uh, in this, in this uh, difficult environment of having cancer and trying to survive it. Yeah, you need to be an expert in your disease. You really do. And that that is intimidating because you don't when you're diagnosed, you don't know anything about cancer at all. You don't know anything about medicine or cancer treatment or probably not much about health or nutrition either. So there's a big learning curve. And yeah, I did create a course 
called Square One to just help people just just to teach them. Here's what you need to know. Like this is where you need to start, and here are the steps you can take to change your life and in every way. So you can identify the things that are contributors to cancer that are known contributors to cancer based on science. And then you can replace them with things that are known to help your body uh, repair, regenerate, detoxify, and heal to strengthen your internal systems, your nervous system, your immune system, your digestive system, all of these wonderful systems, your cardiovascular system uh, that work together to promote health in your body. And so, you know, it's, it is a challenge, but that's the thing, going back to what I said earlier, if you determine to live and you believe you can get well, then it, it, that just becomes your motivation to keep learning and growing, to keep reading and researching, to take, take your life one day at a time and just do the best you can each day to overdose on nutrition, to reduce your stress, right? To, to identify and replace toxic stuff in your life with non-toxic stuff. You know, every little bit helps, right? It's, it's, yeah. You know, it's not like there's going to be one thing like, oh, I switched my shampoo and now my cancer went away, right? Like that doesn't happen. That's not the deal. But if you think about, most of us don't think about the fact that, you know, your body is constantly detoxifying all day, every day, right? It's constantly trying to eliminate toxic stuff. Some of that is from your own cells and some of that is from uh, that you've, things you've consumed, right? You've either breathed in toxic fumes, toxic air, or you've eaten foods with lots of artificial additives and flavors and colors and chemicals. And so, or even viruses and bacteria, right? And so your body's constantly trying to get rid of this stuff. And so the less you can expose it to toxic stuff, like reducing your toxic load, the easier it is on the whole system, right? Your liver has less work to do if it's not being bombarded with toxic junk every day. So to just to, to, uh, illustrate your point. Uh, there, I, we we encourage you know just people in our community encourage patients to take massive action to change their life, not to rely on a silver bullet because healing cancer is not about some miracle cure or magic bullet, whether it's chemo or whether it's you know some herb. It's not about that. And, and that rarely works. Like there's a few testimonials out there of people who did one thing and their cancer went away and that's wonderful. And I certainly would want to do whatever that thing was, but it wouldn't be the only thing I did. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so my approach was, it was sort of like everything but the kitchen sink. I was taking lots of supplements. I was overdosing on nutrition. I was just changing my life in every way. And I was thinking, look, if, if this is something that has no risk of harm, uh, and a p potential benefit to my body in some way, I'll take it. I'll drink it. I'll, you know, smoke it. Just kidding. Uh, but I'll eat it or drink it uh, or do it like therapeutically. So um, I think that's a very reasonable and healthy way to approach it. And, you know, one other thing I wanted to talk about too is, you know, this whole word, the word evidence is such a tricky and slippery word because. There's a lot of different types of evidence. There's different levels of evidence. And there is sort of a, uh, you know, I, I think we, we should believe each other, first of all. I think most people uh, are, are worthy of consideration and belief. And if so, if they have a, 
uh, a, a healing testimony or a story that they're sharing, I think it should be listened to. I don't think it should be dismissed as an anecdote. In fact, whenever I hear a story about someone who has healed cancer against the odds or uh, outside of conventional treatment, I want to interview them. I want to know. Tell me exactly what you did. Right? I want to learn from you. And I think there's we've gotten into this age where we're not it's sort of happening with social media, which is great, but then there's a pushback from conventional, I guess, power structures, but we should be learning from each other. Uh, and then in the scientific community, there's evidence where, you know, you're doing a drug trial and it's phase three and it's randomized placebo controlled drug trial. And that's the highest level of evidence for a drug. And that's usually why doctors will say, well, there's no evidence that nutrition as you know, helps with cancer. Well, yeah, because they can't do a double blind placebo controlled trial on broccoli, right? Mm -hmm. You either know you're eating bro broccoli or you don't, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so uh, they can't do a placebo controlled trial on exercise. You're either exercising or you aren't. <laughs> right. And so most of these diet and lifestyle therapies, holistic therapies, they can never be uh, they can never be put into a, a scientific trial in the way that a drug can be. And it's a convenient way for drug industry cronies uh, and people in that camp that they call themselves the evidence-based or science-based medicine camp, uh, try to dismiss anything that is non-toxic non or natural or non-pharmaceutical as saying it has no evidence. Um, but there are more survivor stories than than you can count every day people are sharing their healing stories online which is just as obviously beautiful wonderful thing and that the movement is growing and more and more physicians like we said earlier are are waking up to the fact that oh wait a minute nutrition matters like i can i can serve my patient my patients at the highest level if i help them get their diet and lifestyle right Right. They can we can still treat them in a lot of ways in the clinic. But, yeah, we, we got to help this person. We can help this person like they got to quit smoking. Right. They're overweight. We got to get the weight off. Obesity is the second leading cause of cancer. Cigarettes are number one. Obesity is number two. It's like, oh, these are obvious cancer promoters in a patient's life. Like, OK, we got to get serious about this. We got to get got to get off the tobacco and we got to get you back to a healthy weight range because that, that's going to increase your odds of survival. So it's like very practical stuff, right? There's a lot more to this conversation and it's coming up right after a quick break. Today's podcast is brought to you by Live On Labs, makers of liposomal vitamins and supplements. Live On uses a liposomal encapsulation technology to protect nutrients from destruction in the digestive system. This allows for more efficient delivery of essential vitamins and nutrients. Choose from various supplements that support health and well-being, such as lipospheric vitamin C, magnesium, glutathione, and more. To learn more, visit LiveOnLabs. That's L-I-V-O-N-Labs.com. It's practical and it has to be coordinated. Uh, there are many different moving parts in a, a person who is changing their life to a better, healthier lifestyle. Uh, one of the things I thought about as you were speaking was if we go back and look at Ayurvedic medicine or Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine, they did not rely upon single 
item treatments. They used herbs, they used movement, they used stretching, meditation, uh, prayer. A number of things were coordinated into a kind of healing strategy. And uh, when when Dr. Reardon developed or de- helped design the the architecture of the Reardon Clinic, I don't know if you've seen pictures, Chris, but we have a pyramid where people say, what's a pyramid doing there? Well, pyramid represents ancient medical care, ancient health thought. And then we've got the geodesic domes, you know, Buckminster Fuller, uh, which is, you know, he it was supposed to be one of the strongest structures you could make, but it's very unique that we put the most modern and the most ancient together because I think I think we're seeing that happen now that people are realizing that health and healing requires a little bit of both. It's not like one or the other. It's finding the integration of the two. And this is why the term integrative medicine is uh, taking on more and more power as time goes along. I've interviewed a number of doctors like yourself that, yeah, have uh, have had a, you know, the great awakening, <laughs> so to speak. Of hey, they didn't teach me everything I should know in med school, and uh, and that does kind of tie back to the to the pharmaceutical tentacles, which is that uh, med school is mainly focused on you know uh, learning every drug for every disease, right? You, you, internal medicine, right? It's like, you've got to memorize every drug for every disease. This is what you have to know as a doctor. Well, you actually learn all the biochemistry, the physiology, the anatomy, all the fundamentals, but then it's like you get to the second half of medical school and it's like, why did we even bother with that? You know, it was, it's very interesting, but it's not made alive in the way we, we think and work with patients. And actually in the 30 years that I've been here at the Reardon Clinic, I've relearned a lot of my biology and chemistry, biochemistry, uh, in an effort to really understand what's going on at the cellular level and how we have to take care of our cells and we have to take care of our organs. And none of these function alone. They function as the community of the body. And in a similar way, I think if we're going to defeat cancer, patients have to look at a multiplicity of changes that they're going to need to make if they're going to basically detoxify and reduce their stress, improve their sleep, get a more effective form of exercise, restore the connectivity in their lives, reduce their their, uh, toxic exposures, these types of things. And when patients kind of realize that, they're on fire. And their life does change. And uh, as I tell people, I see a lot of cancer patients, I say, if you play your cards right, you're going to be healthier than you ever were. Health is going to heal. (laughs) It's funny. Health is going to heal your cancer. Yeah. And the the body, uh, you know, there's something I repeat often is that, you know, the body creates cancer and the body can heal it if given the proper nutrients and care. That's the, that's the sort of foundational, uh, you know, mantra that I I try to you know that I repeat often just to help people understand. Listen, healing is possible. Your body it wants to heal. It doesn't want to be sick, yeah. and you have a, a part to play. You have a role to play, and you're not a victim of disease. And uh, and you have power to change your life. And the choices you make today create your future tomorrow. And so you can either sow seeds of health and reap a harvest of health, 
or you can sow seeds of disease and you reap a harvest of disease. And so this is, this is why your choices matter, right? Yeah. And it's why consistency matters. And that's the hard part, right? The hard part is it's easy to get excited and it's easy to get started and it's easy to make changes. But the hard part is you have to be diligent and you have to be determined and consistent, right? Day, it's, it's, it's a, I, my second book is called Beat Cancer Daily, which is sort of like a daily encouraging, daily devotional mm-hmm. type book. It's like one page per day that uh, for 365 days. And it's just to help uh, the, the reader, whether it's a patient or somebody that's into, into prevention, just to help keep them on track, like stay on the healthy path, because it's easy to go back to your old bad habits. And, uh, and the, the, the cool thing is there's a momentum that happens in the healing process if you keep it up, sure. right? And it's easy to explain, right? If you do a crash diet, sure, you can lose a few pounds in a week or maybe 10 pounds in a month with some crazy crash diet. But if you go back to your normal way of eating after the crash diet, you, the weight's going to come back. Uh, if you go to the gym for a week or a f- few weeks, you'll get a little stronger, right? You'll get a little in a little better shape. But if you quit going to the gym, right, eventually those, that progress you made, it just fades away. And so consistency means you have to realize that the changes that you're making in order to help yourself are not a crash course. It's not a quick fix, not a ma- magic bullet. This is you're changing your diet and your lifestyle for life, yeah. right? Like I'm making lifelong changes that I'm sticking with because I want to live. Right. I believe I can get well and I want to live. I have reasons to live. And I'm this is part of what I call the beat cancer mindset. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get well. And whatever it takes doesn't mean the strongest chemo. Whatever it takes means I'm willing to change anything and everything in my life. I was very happy to see in your module 10 how to test and monitor monitor your progress, because what we found at Reardon Clinic is that information is motivation. And oftentimes when people can see that certain nutrient levels are are improving or certain inflammation markers are coming down or uh, other ratios, your, your neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio, if that's improving, we can tell people you're getting better. Now we want to keep measuring it in order to keep the motivation strong because it's real easy to kind of uh, become a bit lackadaisical once you start to feel better. Because really, I think most of the cancer survivors that I've dealt with realize that, uh, you know, they are always at risk for the cancer coming. Well, all of us are at risk. One in two men will get cancer. One in 2.3 women will get cancer in their lifetime. These are huge statistics. So you can't really say, Hey, I've done what I need to do. Uh, I'm, I'm finished. I can just go back to my old ways. You've got to forge ahead in terms of improving your health each and every day. That's right. Even now, I mean, it's been, uh, 17 years since my diagnosis and I, I am not, I don't consider myself to be cancer proof, right? Because I'm 44. So I I'm planning on living at least another 40 years, but hopefully maybe 60 years. And that's a long time. That's a long time. And there are definitely opportunities in, you know, over 40 to 60 years for new cancers to, to form in my body. 
And so I, I have to be, you know, I'm not as strict as I was when I was in, had active cancer for sure, but I'm still at a very, very high level of conscientious eating and living and exercising and stress reduction. Like, right. My life is designed around that. Uh, because like you said, you know, you can't, you can't just sort of sit back and be like, okay, I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm cancer free. Like I'm going back to, back to my old ways. You know, that that's, you're putting yourself back in the high risk zone by doing that. So it really is lifestyle change. And, and once you get in the groove, it really does become easy. It does. It takes, you know, there's just, there's a, there's a learning curve. It takes some time to get organized and figure things out and your taste buds will change and you you will find new, wonderful, delicious, healthy foods and meals that you can prepare for yourself. And I help we help patients do that. And I do have a cookbook coming out this fall. It's not out yet. It'll be out in early November called Beat Cancer Kitchen. But, um, you know, don't get discouraged if it's a little hard at first. Like, do you just have to push through and and you will figure it out? You can do it. You can change your life. And it is absolutely remarkable what um, the, the benefits that you derive from changing your life once you decide to do it, from forgiving people who've hurt you, from putting your faith, hope, and trust in God to lead you, from finding practitioners that support you, that are, you know, that, that, um, Support you is the best word because some practitioners don't. Some practitioners, it's like a battle when you go in there. Like patients are just fighting with their doctors constantly. I'm like, you need to find a new doctor. If you're fighting with your doctor, this is the wrong doctor for you. Find a doctor that's a co-learner. Learning yes. means that we're always open to learning something new, that the truth is not done. It's it's right. ever evolving and growing. And so that was the most powerful word I learned from Dr. Reardon is be a co-learner. And and then you you can grow with your patient and celebrate their successes as they grow. Well, and that's such a that's such a beautiful and humble, right? There's so much humility in that in that statement and so much wisdom in that. Uh, being a co-learner with your patient approach. I just, I love that so much. And, um, and so, yeah, I guess to, to wrap up that thought, once you go down the path, once you get the ball rolling, things get easier. You, you build this momentum, you will get healing momentum. And then again, it's like rolling a ball, you know, down a mountain, right? It's like, it gets easier and it starts rolling faster. And then you, you know, it kind of goes on its own. The inertia lessens, the inertia lessens. Inertia. Yeah. It lessens as you get get momentum. And so you, you start to get some wind behind your sail. You know, you really start to feel like, Hey, this is, I'm going to be, I can heal. That was a patient of mine. He wrote me a song. Uh, I should, sometime I should get it and play it, but it's, he, he, he had this realization, I can heal. And it was such a powerful mm. inner, not just like a thought, but it, it consumed his whole being. I can heal. And I think that's what cancer patients need to feel if they're going to yeah, believe it and believe right? it. He believed it, be it versus like thinking it, thinking about it, it became a belief. And uh, that that's critical. And it's like, you know, there's something other related to physics and inertia I talk about this in Beat Cancer Daily. There's one page that is sort of about this idea, but 
there's a, it's actually harder to move a stationary object than it is to move the same object once it's in motion. Right. Right. It's like static resistance basically. And so again, it's hardest right in the beginning (laughs) to get the ball rolling, but once it's rolling, you have inertia and it's like riding a bike, right? Once the, once the wheels are turning, it's easy to keep them turning and, and just, you just keep going. So, um, I just want to put that encouragement out there for folks that are feeling intimidated and feeling like they can't do it. You definitely can. You can change your life in so many ways. And, uh, it really is, it just boils down to you deciding to do it. That's it. Chris, and then learning what to do and how to do it. We're nearing our, the end of our, our chat. It's been so great, but you know, I just realized something. You are the explanation point behind Chris beat cancer. You are an exclamation point. That's what I meant to say. So keep that up. Yeah. Keep exclaiming. I am. That's, that's, you know what? That's awesome. I love that idea so much. Uh, it's true. I am, a, I am a proclaimer and an exclaimer. Uh, and, uh, because, and I, I, I feel like we're the same in, in a lot of ways, but I just, I love to learn. I get excited when I learn new information that I feel like is helpful to people and I want to share it. And, uh, and there's just so much incredible research happening every day, right. In the nutrition, uh, and cancer world, or just the nutrition, uh, nutritional science world. And I just get excited every time I discover a new study. Um, and so, uh, I, I am, I am continually learning and growing and trying to be, um, better at what I do, which is hard to define actually, but (laughs) being a patient advocate and, uh, uh, health and wellness lover (laughs) is about the shortest bio I've got for myself. Well, whatever it is, keep it up, keep it up. And thank you so much. If you're ever in Kansas, stop by and see us and, uh, it will happen. Good, good. Well, anyway, uh, love talking with you. Best wishes in the future. And I can't wait to read your, your new books. Thank you, Dr. Ron. See you soon. Thanks a lot, Chris. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Real Health Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all of the episodes and show notes over at realhealthpodcast.org. Also, be sure to visit reardonclinic.org where you will find hundreds of videos and articles to help you create your own version of real health.